Friday afternoon. I just uh, I received an email like five minutes before I was to get on a call um, with them. It's just saying that my contract had been terminated and that they were, um, you know, terminating the entire global ambassador program because they're, you know, their budget had been taken down to zero. And so, um, yeah, that was a huge, huge shock because obviously, you know, I thought I was in a two-year, at least a two-year contract with them. And, um, you know, they, they, I earned the majority of my income from them as well. So to be just told that and say that it's terminated immediately um, with no recourse for me or severance or anything was just a total disappointment um in what what you know our relationship represented i think so um yeah so all right that was sarah swallow she has an amazing story in recent news uh i don't know if you are aware but specialized just let go of their ambassador program. So they let go of a lot of professional specialized cyclists. Um, and this had a lot of implications, um, especially in Sarah's story. So I found out about this through Sarah's news article in Velo News. And uh, it was touching. Um, we covered just kind of the implications of kind of a decision like this. And the impacts it could have on an individual who makes money doing this. And it's not an easy sort of career. I mean, on the outside, it looks super awesome to ride your bike and get paid for it. But, you know, behind the scenes, there's a lot of work that goes into writing stories, um, taking pictures, um, being a slave to social media in a way because you are, when you're in this position, a advertisement for these big companies. And it is such an awesome thing that these companies do for riders. But also there are some downsides um, like this story that we're going to hear today. So we are going to be diving in deep today with Sarah Swallow. So get ready. But before we dive in, I just want to give you guys a little uh, sneak peek into 2023 uh, we have some really cool things coming for events. So if you like gravel bikes and if you like mountain bikes, well, go check out VerityValleyRally.com. We got a mountain bike event called the Verity Valley Rally on March 25th. And this is going to be a sick race at Dead Horse National Park in Cottonwood, Arizona. It's hard, it's technical, and it's also flowy. And there's going to be a few options. We have a 44, a 30, a 15, a 9, and that'll be for the adolescent. So anywhere from 12 to 17 years old is going to be that 9 mile. Um, and then we have a kids race. This is at Blazin M Ranch. Um, look it up. I'll throw that website in the show notes uh, so you can see the venue. But it's a really cool old western vibe. Uh, there's a bar, um, and it basically brings you back to early 1900s or late 1800s. So it's a really cool venue. We're super excited to be putting this on. And then also in recent light, we are getting a gravel group ride that's going to be kind of competitive. And this is called Mugshot. Um, it stands for Mingus Underground Gravel. 
and this is going to be unreal. It's going to be epic. There's going to be a few different distances, um, but we were going to start it in Cherry, Arizona, um, and this is a little ghost town up kind of at the top of Mingus Mountain in the Verde Valley, and it's when we did some recon on the course, we kind of realized, ooh, this would be pretty tough on a gravel bike. So, you know, we changed some things up and details will be coming soon, but we think it's going to be in Jerome, Jerome, Arizona. It's going to be so sweet, but that's the events coming up. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Single Speed Coffee Roasters. Um, if any of you don't know, I own one of the trailers that goes to all of the um, MBAA series and the high school league ACA. Um, and we serve coffee and we make days. Uh, so it's super fun. Um, single Speed Coffee Roasters does an amazing job when they roast their beans. They're located um, kind of near Whole Foods in Flagstaff, Arizona. Go check them out. They're doing some really cool things with specialty coffee. Now, um, getting into Moxie Life, my uh, hydration. Moxie Life is designed to optimize the way you perform. It's to optimize hydration. They have Phytolite, which is one of my favorites. That's what I use on my long rides and when I race. Um, this uses phytonutrients, like such as spirulina and corella, um, but it's also a great electrolyte replacement. So on those long rides, it's a great way to replace those uh, lost sodiums and magnesiums. <laughs> anyway, um, also Hydromag. Um, this is another product of theirs. And Hydromag is one of the only supplements I actually have really, really liked. Um, this is actually not to be taken when you're riding. This is more of just kind of a daily um powder that you put into, I don't know, eight ounces of water and it tastes great. Um, it dissolves great. And this actually replaces, uh, your magnesium stores. So if you've ever been on a long ride and you've sweat salt and you see like that white crystallized salt on the outside of your Jersey, you need hydromag. That means you're not utilizing your electrolyte. You're not allowing your body to absorb those electrolytes. And that's what happens if you don't have magnesium, you cramp. And that's just not cool. Um, so anyway, uh, just go check those out. That's going to be in the show notes. Um, and uh, also, Huppy Bar. I just love Huppy Bar. Um, their website is in the show notes. Um, one of my buddies just bought the company. And he was like, hey, man, can you just try these out? I was like, ah, yeah, for sure. Um, I usually do Cliff Bars um, just because they're easy and you can find them everywhere. But, um, man, I took these out on a ride, and they're so good. They're not sugary, but they're sweet. Um, they're all – it's made from seeds and uh, grains. It's phenomenal. I feel great. It doesn't hurt my stomach because after a few Cliff Bars, you know, that sugar really gets to you. So um, go check those out. Um, they're made for adventure. They're easy to pack uh, and – they're just accessible. But anyway, enough with supplements and all that jazz. Um, you guys should definitely check out the Confluence 928 Off-Road Team. Um, you can find them on Instagram. That's going to be in the show notes. When you're done with the episode, you can go check that out. But Confluence 928 Off-Road Team is something that 
Greg Miranda and I, the owner of Verde Valley Bicycle Company, have gotten to really, we've gotten it started and it's been so much fun. So we're in the process of just um, helping a bunch of local legends race. Um, and I was honored to design the jersey and the team name and so forth. So um, it's going to be super fun. Um, local Arizona team that you guys should keep an eye out for. But anyway, guys, without further ado, let's get this podcast rolling. You guys are stoked. I'm stoked. Sarah Swallow is such a great ambassador for the sport. She's a great person, um, and I was so honored to talk to her. Um, And yeah, I'm just super stoked for you guys to listen to her story. Um, Let me know in the show notes, uh, or let me know just Instagram, at Quinn Travis with three S's or the new Stoke podcast Instagram account that I just created um, a few days ago. So always hit me up, give me feedback, let me know what you want to hear, let me know what I can improve on. I'm just trying to give you guys awesome stories. So help me introduce Sarah Swallow. Bang! Stoke Podcast. My name is Quinn, and I'm super stoked to introduce Sarah Swallow. She is a um, professional ultra endurance cyclist. Um, she is an outdoor adventurer, and I'm super excited to have you on today. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, let's let's kind of dive into how you found the bike. Uh, yeah. So I I guess I. Honestly, I found the bike um, through working with the bike before actually riding the bike. So, um, you know, I, I grew up as a kid, you know, riding a, a kid's bike with my dad, who was a marathon runner. So we'd ride the bike trail, that kind of thing. Like most, you know, a lot of kids learn how to ride the bike as as use. But um, the instrumental part for me was when I was 12, I got a job at a local bike rental in Loveland, Ohio. And I, um, that was kind of where I was first exposed to kind of like the joy bicycles brought to people. Um, you know, people would come from all over the tri-state area and they'd be from all different skill levels. Like they wouldn't be you know, super serious cyclists and they would just come rent a cruiser and ride a bike trail. Um, and it would be the most exciting thing that they've done all weekend. It was just a really cool thing to be exposed to. And I actually worked there for like eight years. Um, so it was kind of an informative informative experience to just work with a small business and um kind of be my own manager uh there and um yeah that led to working in a bike shop and then owning a bike shop but I didn't get into cycling as a hobby until I got out of high school and then I you know picked up road cycling and then gravel uh cycle cross and mountain bike and I even tried a couple triathlons, so I I kind of dove head first once I found that I like cycling. Awesome! And so you're from Ohio. Uh, for the most part, I moved around a lot when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, my family moved there when you know I was twelve, 
from Southern California and uh, I, you know, went to high school, college, and then owned a bike shop there for, for five years before moving out West. Did you, I mean, obviously you liked Ohio, but was there a lot of, um, it's like single track or gravel roads around there? Um, so yeah, like, so in, in Ohio, we had a huge cyclocross scene. We had the Ohio Valley Cyclocross Series, which was a pretty big series. It attracted, you know, racers from all over the world to to race. Um, and so that was a big focus. And um, in Ohio, like in Southwest Ohio, there's not a ton of gravel roads, like, you know, outside the cities. But if you go further out, you know, like an hour and a half or two hours, there's there's a lot of gravel roads um, in different like state forests and country roads. Um, what's nice, what's nice, I don't know where you're based, but um, what's nice about like the Midwest and, you know, where I was in Ohio is that um there's just a ton of roads to choose from so you know you there's lots of different ways of getting around um whereas like out west you know there's just a few options you know like to to make a route um so there's a lot of small roads to explore and um i love doing that that's what i really became passionate about and would host uh i eventually hosted gravel rides and that was kind of like a lot of people's first exposure to gravel riding and and stuff like that and yeah it was a ton of fun so you were um on the gravel bike in ohio so when did you move to durango um so i moved to durango in 2017 but i uh, i left ohio in 2015 by um you know, I had I had gotten the sponsorship with Specialized in 2015, and I used that um, money that first year to take kind of like a sabbatical from the bike shop and ride my bike with my partner at the time on the TAT, which is the dual, sto- dual sport motorcycle route that goes east to west across the country, all on dirt roads. And so we um, we did that. And at the time, we were the first, you know, cyclist to ever do that ride. And and, um, once I did that, completed that ride, it was like 5,000 miles. And we did it over the course of three months. I was like, I want to keep doing this. Like, I love, I love to do this. I want to keep, keep doing it. And um, so, yeah, I just like, you know, kept pursuing um, making this life a bit more sustainable and in ended up traveling around and bike touring around for the next couple of years until landing in um, what I'm doing now, which is spending my summers in Durango, my spring summers and, you know, early fall in Durango and then the rest of the time in uh, Tucson, Arizona. Okay, sweet. So you're in Tucson right now? I'm actually not in Tucson right now. I'm in oh, Baja, okay. California right now. Oh, <laughs> so I, do, a... I come down to Baja. I try to come down to Baja at least every year as well because I just I love it down here as well. Sweet, yeah. So I'm actually located yeah. in Cottonwood, Arizona. Oh, okay. Yes. Cool. So right nice. near Sedona. Um, gotcha. And uh, it's it's the environmental reasons why my me and my fiance moved here because she's an ultra runner and I'm uh, I race uh, mountain bikes. So it was like kind of a, nice. an ideal nice. location. Cause we were in Flagstaff. It was too cold in the winter and we really right. couldn't get out on trails and, and rents, right. you know, how prices, they're, they're just insane. Right. So, um, yeah, so we're located in Cottonwood, so we're not too far from you. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. 
Um, yeah. And so you spent a good majority of time after 2015 finding that sponsorship with Specialized. You um, did the TPT, is it called? Uh, it's called the TAT, so it's the TAT. The TAT, okay, yeah. cool. Transamer- okay. It's called the Transamerica Trail, but it, it's also, it's the same name as the paved adventure cycling routes. So just call it the TAT. The TAT, cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> was that your first ever um, experience bikepacking? Um, it was actually just my like third experience bikepacking. I had done the Oregon Outback before that, had done, actually, yeah, fourth. Um, I had ridden the Buckeye Trail in Ohio, which is like a 700-mile route. or um, And then a, uh, what else did we do? And we did a trip in Monongahela Forest in West Virginia. So, yeah, I was pretty, I was a pretty fresh, fresh bikepacker at the time. For sure. Sweet. And that's a pretty big, um, a really long oh, yeah. amount of land to cover, especially what your fourth time going into it. Yeah. And, it, you know, there was no information for, you know, related to cyclists. We were just working off of what was designed for motorcyclists. So obviously they have lots of gasoline to fuel their their motorcycles so resupplies didn't happen um very frequently so we had to do a lot of the the pre-planning ourselves and um yeah there'd just be really long stretches without resupply like you know 200 miles um through you know desert you know nevada desert utah desert and stuff like that so yeah it was a it was a wild ride it was challenging and uh but super rewarding Absolutely. Um, and that's the hard part about bikepacking is because there's, you have one option where your resupply is pretty frequent. You know, if you're kind of in a, in a populated area, right. you, you don't have to mm-hmm. really worry about packing your bike too much. And that's one thing, cause I'm, I'm right. getting into bikepacking. Like that's kind of an endeavor that's right at the forefront ever started ever since starting this podcast. It's been like, all right, I need to, I need to get out there, but I'm thinking, man, it would be really hard to bring 200 miles worth of food, especially when that's your, you know, totally. Yeah. Water, um, food. Yeah. It's, you know, one of the other early trips I did was riding down the Baja divide. Um, and that, that ride does require that you carry, you know, like eight to 10 liters of water at times um and you know your food for up to three days like so yeah like it's it's challenging you have to be really you know you gotta know where to make space in your bike and um you know have a have a minimal setup but have a sustainable setup and yeah there's a lot of you know compromises to make and um and weird things to strap on when you need to to make it all work together but you know you start with a really heavy load and then you're working your way down and that always feels good what's the what's the wackiest setup you've had a how to create on the on the gravel or on the bikepacking setup um you know i haven't had too wacky of a setup you know like I always try to like reinvent the wheel every time I go on. Oh, not every time, but like almost every year I'm like, okay, I'm going to try a different setup with my bike packing. And, um, I try it out and, and then, 
like just totally end up going back to the original setup that I've had. So I don't really diverge. It's like once you once you find something that works, you know, everything has a place. And um, and I like the way my bike handles with that. So I, I don't diverge too, too far off. Yeah, that makes sense to what I normally do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I haven't had anything too extreme, you know, just, yeah. I try not to strap things randomly on my bike because that's just not, a lot of times those things fall off and, you know, it's not sustainable. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to change anything up too. If it's, if things were to fall off or you kind of lose track of where you put your rain, rain jacket, you know, if, because you right. switched, switched around your bags, it could be problematic, especially when it, the climate's changing or there is a dangerous situation because yeah. that's that's what's crazy about some of these big the 200 miles that you had to pack for um your resupply that's that's mm-hmm. a really large amount of land that you have to cover and if anything were to go wrong yeah. if you had to like stay in one spot for more than a day you know your your supply you, you got to use it so um totally. have you totally what's the scariest situation you've been in in regards to bikepacking has there ever been a situation you've been kind of scared or worried that something might go wrong um I mean you know there's been extreme weather where you're just like oh shit you know we need to get somewhere or else you know we're gonna get hypothermic or whatever you know I've toured in the Andes so you know getting soaked and snowed on at 16,000 feet is just not ideal, you know, because it's, yeah, you just, yeah. So I, I, hypothermia is probably scarier things that I've been exposed to. Um, Yeah, but, you know, there's stresses of like um, running out of food or water, stuff like that. I, I have, um, you know, I guess I've been doing it so much now that like, I, I know kind of how to manage my stress. I'm more creative with getting water and, and storing water. So, um, yeah, I, I can't think of any like super scary, you know, experience that I've had. Um, definitely have run out of water before, you know, that's never fun. That's like, you know, bad headaches and just not thinking straight. And that's just a really hard um, hard place to be making decisions from. Um, I've been, you know, in countries where they were experiencing a coup while I was there. So that was a little like, you know, challenging and just confusing and kind of scary, but, um, my life was never, you know, in danger or anything like that. So, um, yeah, just exposed to all different stuff. Nice. Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess comes with experience. I mean, yeah. And it's like on in my experience if I do a 100 plus mile ride, I know I'm coming back to the house, but it's kind of the same same but different um way of adventure. I I could drink all my water, I could be out of food, and I'm still yeah. on my bike with no packs or, you know, any way to refuel. So I guess it just comes with practice and time. Right, right. Like I totally remember when I first started like being, having all these fears 
that, um, you know, I was scared of like the people who I might encounter on the ride or I was scared of, you know, running out of water, or running out of food um, or not being able to find a good camp or whatever. But all these things, like as you do them, they all work out. And um, yeah, it's, you know, I've just learned to kind of manage that and like, I'm not, it's just, yeah. You, as long as you're prepared and you know I, I always make sure I'm prepared on every single ride you know like have your light make sure you have enough food or water have your rain jacket have your puppy jacket and uh yeah people like can tease me or whatever for packing lots of stuff on my bike for you know just a one-day ride but I'm always prepared and that that preparedness um you know allows me not to stress when I'm out there whereas like the people that maybe not don't have enough clothing or food or water you know they're stressing because like they're like oh shit I'm you know in a situation I'm like you know I'm I'm here you know I'm so it's it's the preparedness helps <laughs> absolutely and um for someone who's getting into bikepacking um it seems as if it's pretty accessible to everyone um and easy to find routes and uh, things like that. But for someone who's new to it, what would be like the most necessary tools and equipment that you would need to bring to get someone going on like a two day trip? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you want to have all your clothing, you know, your, your puffy jacket, your rain jacket, some long pants, long sleeve shirt, um, warm hat, um, you know, sun protection for during the day, uh, a tent, a bug net, that, a tent with a bug net, you know, you never know where you are. Um, and if you're anyone like me, who just the bugs love me. So, you know, I always make sure I have a bug net so that I can, I can get protected from that when I'm sleeping. Um, you know, a sleeping pad of some sort, a sleeping bag, um, you don't have to have a pillow. You can just stuff, you know, lay on your, your clothes, stuff your clothes in a bag. Um, you need some, ideally some basic bike packing bags. Um, there's so many independent builders out there making bags of all different price ranges. There's also lots of like fun templates. People, you can look up on the internet and um, try to make your own bags if you're creative like that. Um, yeah, I think that's that's about it. You know, it's just about strapping bags and stuff to your bike. Or unless you have a rack and a couple panniers, that works too. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, and I think it's intimidating for someone to get into the sport, you know, because there's so much equipment and so many bags. And it's kind of a lot of money too, you know, when you're thinking about totally. the grand scheme of everything you would need. And the GPS, if you, you know which I think would yeah. be super important for someone getting into it is just making sure you know where you're going because a wrong turn could yeah. kind of be uh, really absolutely. dangerous. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And honestly, bikepacking, you know, it isn't that accessible unless you're already a big backpacker or camper and you have all this stuff. It is expensive to get into, you know, you have to have like a, a mountain bike. You want something that's reliable. That's not going to break down. And, um, you know, there's affordable ways of doing it. Like one of my friends just wore a big backpack and strapped a pillow around, around her handlebars. Like that's what she did the first time. Like, it's like, do whatever, use what you have, you know, at first and then work from there. You don't have to get all the stuff right away. 
That's super cool. She just put a big old backpack on and yeah. just sent it. Yeah, totally. And nice. yeah, that that works. I mean, it's not not uh, super comfortable or whatever, but like she did it and she did it for like three or four days, you know? And so it's like, you know, it, it just depends on what you, how eager you are to get out there. If you're eager to get out there, don't let the gear hold you back. Just get out there whatever way you can, like borrow the stuff. Um, yeah, because as soon as you do it, you know, you'll you'll realize you love it and you'll figure out ways of, of making the rest fall into place. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think the, if you just have a bike, just first go 10 miles and just explore, yeah. explore the environment around you. And then if that was hard and maybe go 11 miles, you know, in two more days. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, just getting out there and just no matter what gear you have, um, just explore, because uh, that's that makes me feel better. Because it's like, oh man, I need I need a frame bag. What do I put in the handlebar bag, which I don't have? Um, but I can just get a backpack. Yeah, you can get a backpack, or if you just have like a stuff sack, you can just strap a stuff sack with your sleeping bag and your tent and your you know your sleeping stuff on your front handlebars. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots of ways of doing it. And just throw in some like NRS straps. Yeah, like the, or those voile straps or, um, you know, like those cinch toe strap kind of things or even bungee cords. I mean, bungee cords aren't the best, but, you know, if you can make it, make it tight and so that doesn't move so much. Yeah. Um, and through this transition, when, when did you realize that bikepacking was your cup of tea? Like, cause you, um, you did dabble in a lot of things. Yeah. Well, I like, once I found gravel cycling, I knew that like, yeah, bikepacking was just the next progression. Cause I absolutely love gravel riding once I found it. So I was like, well, bikepacking will allow me to just see more stuff uh, without having to go home and come back out, you know, like it's just, uh, I could just see more stuff for longer. Um, yeah, and I love the the camping aspect of bikepacking, and um, yeah, so that's kind of when it happened, just after gravel cycling. Cool. Was that um, around 2015? Uh, yeah, I guess like 2014 was probably my first bike tour, and then 2015 was the, the TAT. Cool. And then from there, um, you started racing. Um, in these adventure? Um, I mean, I, I dabbled in some like races. I mean, I never really, I don't really consider myself a racer. I just show up to races or events um, for the community aspect and just to like do a hard thing with other people. Um, so yeah, I did like tour of de los Padres um, and then, you know, I've done the tour divide, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't really do that many races though. Yeah. Okay. I've done unbound and gravel, you know, I've done some gravel races and stuff like that, but, um, but that's yeah, not your goal. That's, 
nah, you know, like I just, I love to travel and go places on my bicycle and, you know, all over the world and, you know, get really remote, get in really some stunning landscapes and, you know, take myself totally out of my comfort zone is what I, what I enjoy. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the community, at least since I've been in biking, it's so focused on these events and these big races and, and really shining the light on these really competitive pro cyclists, men and women, when the grand scheme of things is a, a big majority of people showing up to these events are really just there for the community, the atmosphere, and to to adventure on their bicycle and to see a totally remote area that's marked, it's safe, there's volunteers out there, there's um, EMTs, if anything were to go wrong. So it's a kind of a, a safety net for a lot of people. So it's really cool totally. and comforting to hear that um, someone like yourself, who, you know, is really well known in the community, just is out there to experience bicycling for the adventure aspect and the environment and community, which is huge. Um, Cause a lot of people are scared to kind of, take the leap you did to just pack up a bunch of backpacks on a bike and just roll with it. And if whatever happens, happens. Um, and so when, when was it when, uh, you know, you started working with sponsors and brands, um, since your focus isn't really on racing, how did that come to light? Yeah, well, it, it all came to light with, um, specialized launching the seek and enjoy program and um at the time the folks from yonder journal were hired to kind of recruit um you know adventure cyclists to be representatives of this new adventure uh line that specialized was launching and i was chosen to be one of those people and um so you know i did that with specialized you know for a few years and then I started working with other brands and you know I would write for magazines and blogs and stuff like that to to um to help you know earn an income and yeah it's just been slowly evolving over the last eight years of you know developing relationships with brands and um you know providing them with content and telling stories and yeah, it's, I've been able to make a life and a career for myself, which has been incredible. Like, I totally did not expect to be doing this. Like, had you asked me what I saw myself doing um, when I was in high school or college? Yeah, no worries. Yeah, just wouldn't, wouldn't have expected that I would have uh, been able, that this was even an option um, for me. So super grateful. Sweet. Um, and in recent light, um, there has been a certain situation with Specialized, um, and what was your opinion on that? And what was it? If you if if you feel comfortable going into detail about it, yeah. Um, so yeah, I've been with Specialized for eight years, and I was actually um, signed on for another two year contract as of twenty twenty two. My contract. Um, this time around included, you know, bikes and clothing. I was to represent their um, new exchange collection collaboration with Fjall Raven and, um, and also promote, you know, their bicycles. 
and um, yeah, I've I've always had a really positive relationship with Specialized. You know, I last Friday, you know, Friday afternoon, I just uh, I received an email like five minutes before I was to get on a call um, with them. It's just saying that my contract had been terminated and that they were, um, you know, terminating the entire global ambassador program because their, you know, their budget had been taken down to zero. And so, um, yeah, that was a huge, huge shock because obviously, you know, I thought I was in a two-year, at least a two-year contract with them. And, um, you know, they... They, I earn the majority of my income from them as well. So to be to, just told that and say that it's terminated immediately um, with no recourse for me or severance or anything was just a total disappointment um, in what, what, you know, our relationship represented, I think. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I don't know. What else do you want me to do about with that? No, yeah, and... Yeah. Reading it, it was um, it was frustrating that there was no prior caution, or at least it could have been earlier for your planning yes. as an individual right. who um, who you're an adventure seeker, and so you can plan for your 2023 if you want to continue doing what you love um, with support. There should have been time to make that adjustment and reach out to necessary sponsors or people who can help you achieve those. So you can right. still write these awesome articles and blogs and, and get women and men on bikes and travel. And, you know, you can continue to um, coordinate events like you are. So yeah, it's just frustrating to hear that just as a outside spectator. Cause I couldn't even imagine what it would be like, cause it's a job. Yeah, it's a it's a real job. <laughs> and I know that, you know, people hear the word ambassador and they associate it with like influencer and all that. But, you know, it's a real job. It's a marketing job. And, um, you know, it was terminated without notice. And again, it was terminated so late in the season. So like, I, if I were to be looking for new relationships with uh, other brands, I would have started that process back in September and October. Um, and so I would have already had, um, you know, brands lined up by now. At this point in the year, brands have already, you know, established their budgets and, you know, establish their partnerships for the following year. So I was in a, in a bit of a situation because, you know, I, I need uh, funding to support the projects that I do. So, you know, the community rides, the events, um, my adventures, the content, like I need uh, brand support to do that. And so that's, you know, that's another reason why I was grateful for the, the Vela News article coming out because um, it just allowed me to get my name out there and, and, you know, let people know that I'm a free agent and, uh, and, you know, looking to partner with, with more folks. And yeah, it's been an overwhelmingly uh, positive response and affirming response to the work that I do. And, um, and yeah, I'm super grateful for it. Like I, I did not expect the response that, that occurred like from the Vela News article like um it was pretty incredible to see how many people expressed um you know the importance of the work of ambassadors like me you know and um 
and I think that really says something. You know, they a lot of people have developed, you know, it, attachment to brands through people like me, and um, yeah, it was kind of a letdown and, and disappointing, and um, but also it just goes to show how much people appreciate this kind of this kind of job, you know, compared to, you know, maybe a world tour rider or, or super competitive athlete, you know, it's they're just not as relatable, you know? And so, um, yeah, that was, that was really cool. And I'm, I'm super grateful for it. Thank you for sharing that. Cause it's, um, I think I support you. I think the whole of the community supports you because we're, uh, I'm a, a brand new dad. I'm, chasing sponsorships just just for support because it's it's a very expensive sport and um mm-hmm. it's it's a way to express yourself and and it's a lot of work to mm-hmm. write plan coordinate fly travel to all these different places to ride your bike and to represent you know two-wheeled fun whether it's for mm-hmm. any other brand, you're really representing what the bicycle can do for your well-being and for and and the places that it can take you. You know, so um, yeah, that that was just a touching article I read too, and um, and I actually received multiple different pages on my feed that was about your article. You know, so that's why okay. I ended up reaching out is. Um, it was multiple different people I was seeing on my feed and I was like, mm-hmm. all right, this is, this is bigger than I think, um, than what it might look. Um, and yeah. was there, is there any communication right now with you and specialized? Uh, no, 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 nor yeah. shall there, um, and, uh, yeah, but I have, you know, I have received a lot of, um, you know, offers from other brands and, and so I'm just kind of sorting through and having as many conversations as possible right now. But yeah, the, the article definitely sparked a lot of brand, other brand interest in, in my work. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the process of having conversations and, um, seeing where I align with with other brands and that's really exciting too and I'm I'm excited for I'm pretty excited to I this definitely was not something I expected to be doing while I was down here in Baja but um you know I'm I'm pretty lucky to to be in this position so I'm excited to see um where this goes and the new partnerships and relationships I'm gonna get to develop and the opportunities so I'm I'm still gonna be here good Uh, and I'm I'm super happy that you have been reached out to already. I mean, it's, it hasn't even been a week yet, so that's good news. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be yeah, able to sure. continue to share uh, amazing stories. Yep, it's looking like that. Yep. Good. And um, so for 2023, I mean, I'm sure you've already planned for some cool adventure. What's your next, like, crazy, fun um, tour you're planning um, well, so the thing that I'm most excited about, I would say, is this uh, partnership partnership I have with uh, this land conservation organization called Cuenca Los Ojos. 
and um, we are, they're based in Sonora, Mexico, so just on the other side of the border, so they're still within the borderlands. Um, and I'm working with them to establish bike infrastructure on their property. And it's a super stunning uh, region that's like at the convergence of the Chihuahua and Sonoran Desert and Sierra Madre Occidental with the Rocky Mountains. And, um, and yeah, so it's uh, just a really biodiverse region. And um, canyon country, you know, grassy ridgelines, double track, like really fun, like technical kind of riding. Um, so I'm working on developing some bikepacking routes and adventure day routes there. Um, I've already started that. And yeah, it's just a really fun exploratory kind of situation because they're, you know, that region has never really seen bicycles. Um, people just haven't been riding there. Um, and in part of that, uh, we are a team of mine and um, some Mexican cyclists and photographers and riders are all meeting um, in April to uh, scout what we're calling is the continuation of the Great Divide mountain bike route through Mexico. So we are looking to start in Antelope Wells and then ride through the Sierra Madre Occidental down to at least Topolobampo um, in, in April. So that's the one I'm most excited about. So you're continuing the tour divide. So when it really stops at Mexico, are you just going across and trying to connect the route all the way to the point? Well, so one, I am considering doing the, the tour divide again um, this June, but this will happen before that. So I, I am looking to just establish and scout a route that would be the continuation of that tour divide, great divide route. That's really cool. Has it, really has cool. anyone done it? Like, has anyone? I'm you know, there's so many people that ride the American Cordillera from, you know, Alaska to Argentina. So I'm sure there's been cyclists that have done variations of this um, in the past, but, you know, there's no actual route that's published or anything like that. So we'll be going out there to, you know, try to find a consecutive dirt road route that takes you from Antelope Wells to Topolobombo through, you know, small towns and, and villages and, you know, with an emphasis on safety, of course, through that region. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I'm very excited. That'll be a very new and uh, like I said, you know, I like to get totally out of my comfort zone. So that will be part of that. That'll be so cool. Have you ridden um, any part of that area? I have. Yeah. Just okay. through like Cuenca host Yeah. Okay, cool. So and Sonora and Chihuahua. Sweet. And so it's just going to be a whole new adventure for you then. Yep. Yep. For sure. That'd be, that'd be great. Um, yeah. And so those two are in the scopes for 2023, continuing the tour divide. And you said you're doing the tour divide again in June. I'm considering, I'm considering. considering yeah. At this point, you know, so I have like a certain amount of community projects that I am engaged with. So, you know, like I'm hosting the Sky Islands Adventure Rides series. I'm planning Ruta del Jefe, my event in um, March 2024. Um, and then I'm doing this uh, route development for Cuenca Los Ojos. And, you know, at this point, 
for me, I'm like the kind of person that, you know, I plan my trips, you know, a few months in advance. I'm not a big, you know, huge advance kind of rider. Like, um, so I'm, I keep things pretty flexible, but I've got my eyes on the tour divide again. And, um, just because Lael Wilcox is a close friend of mine and she's being super encouraging and, and motivating me to, to join her for that. And that's, you know, and I have some other friends that are also going to be doing it. Um, and then, um, yeah, just filling up the rest of the time with tours in, in Colorado and Arizona. And, you know, my partner and I want to go to Europe sometime this fall to ride in Italy and Switzerland. So, you know, I always fill it up, you know, I'm in Baja right now. I'm going to leave for a bike tour tomorrow and, um, you know, we're going to be doing the mission segment of the Baja Divide. And then on uh, January 2nd, we're meeting a bunch of friends down in Cabo to do the Cape Loop, which I've done multiple times, but it's just a fun, fun trip to do with friends and people that have never been to Mexico before. And, you know, we'll surf, we'll go snorkeling, we'll swim with whale sharks, we'll do, you know, eat tons of tacos and camp our way around the the cape so that's the kind of thing i'm into you know just riding bikes and having fun you know and then you know doing the exploratory stuff of course is always really fun but you know doing rides with friends and community is is what i'm really drawn to that sounds like there's a lot of a lot of room for 2023 for you have boring adventures yeah right so, so many boring so adventures cool. so many boring adventures <laughs> yeah, yeah. like in italy dang. so many yeah um, i know i know like yeah it's it's great that's so cool um yeah yeah it's it sounds well 2023 it's gonna be jam-packed of, of pure stoke and fun yeah yeah i think so i think so it's looking like it sweet um and just for the listeners and for my curiosity what do you think is your technique or strategy to continue to it's I'm trying to word this correctly to continue to wake up every day happy and motivated to continue to um, adventure and to do the things that you do because life's tough and things happen but what's what's kind of a technique you use to stay on track yeah, I mean, you know, luckily for me, riding my bike is like a form of self-care. So um, for me, the the challenge is finding balance. So like what can happen is that, um, you know, because it's tied to, you know, my my mental health, also my career and also my social um my social world is all tied up in bikes so um that can be really challenging and especially if like I get too tired of riding my bike or something like that you know like I need to I need to switch it up so yeah I think it's all I always strive for for some some balance and you know I I've been dealing with some some health issues this year so even more so like knowing when to um not push myself and learning how to just like make sure i'm eating well to sustain the the pace that i go and um but yeah i mean i it's the same i i'm lucky i get to you know my job is to go on adventures and and ride my bike so i don't need 
you know, too much motivation to do that because that's just really fun to me. Like, I love planning and I love to do this. Um, but of course, like, you know, I got to like maintain, you know, my mental health and stuff. And I do that, like, um, you know, most other people that, you know, do the same thing. Like I, I get therapy, I journal, you know, I start my day with gratitudes and affirmations and, um, and I, I get to work and just try to stay as present as possible. And, um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're just a normal person doing extraordinary things. <laughs> yeah, but like I again, I want to emphasize the ordinary person because that's exactly yeah. who I am, you know, and and that's um like yeah. again, I'm an ordinary person. I was Ohio girl like didn't ride bikes when I was a kid, didn't professionally race, didn't even, you know, I'm talking to brands that I, you know, sold at my bike shop that they didn't even like give me a second look or something like that. You know, they didn't even consider me back then, you know, and I remember I'm just thinking back on those days, like, and I'm just like, this is so funny, you know, because it's like, these people just like passed me up so many times in the past. And it's like, okay, you know, I see, I see what's going on here. But again, you know, it's like... Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's really cool. So what would you tell your younger self? I would tell them that, you know, there's so many more options than you can even imagine. And, you know, and like, you don't have to follow like a cookie cutter life. You know, there's so many different ways of making a life and a career work. And you just have to be creative and motivated to do it. And I think if you find something that you love to do, then you'll want to do it and you'll get really creative. Um, and, you know, I know that not everybody has that, um, that privilege and that access. And, um, but, you know, I, I just follow my heart, you know, I follow my gut, I follow my heart and, um, and that's usually led me to good things. So. Yeah. seems like it. And, um, yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for that. Uh, um, Thank you for sharing kind of this experience that you're going through with brands and um, kind of your upbringing. And I would love to talk more of just your adventures because I think we didn't, we only hit the surface of kind of the present of what's going on currently in your life. Um, And I would love to dive in, in in a later time to like really go into one specific ride that, you know, uh, I want to hear your mindset. What was hard? What was great? Yeah. Where'd you go? The environments. So we can dive in a little more because with these podcasts, like I could talk to you for days or at least four hours. Sure. And I know you got things to do. So, um, Sarah, I think you want to close it. Like where can people find you? Um, if they want to find out any more information on you, um, where could they go? Yeah, so um, I'm on Instagram, Sarah J. Swallow. Um, I have a website. It's also just sarahjswallow.com. Um, I, if you're interested in Ruta del Jefe, um, that also has its own website and Instagram, just look that up. Um, and then, you know, if you're interested in my routes, you can find them on bikepacking.com. And 
um, and also my website. So um, yeah, just hit me up and yeah, excited Sweet. to connect with people. And I'll throw that yeah. down in the show notes so people can have access to that too. So it'll be easy. You don't have to remember cool. all of that if you're listening. Cool. And um, sweet Sarah, well, I, I love your stoke. People out there who are listening, yeah. stay stoked. Um, and so thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was almost going to sneeze just yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. That was Sarah Swallow. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Um, And everything that we just talked about is going to be below in the show notes. So go give those a click. Go check those out. Um, Go enjoy her story. Um, Keep following what she's doing. She's doing some amazing things. Um, If you guys need more information on the podcast, Stoke Podcast now has an Instagram. So go give that a follow. Stay tuned. We got dogs coming in and out, so I guess that's my cue to hit it. All right, guys, take it easy. Stay stoked.